the best advice I ever received was when I was a, a younger, younger recruiter, and my my boss said to me, "Don't react, then you won't overreact." Like and that. that really resonated with me because I'm a kind of flamboyant person. So if you tell me something and I don't like it, I'll go no, and, and suddenly, <laughs> you know, suddenly I'm I've shown how I'm feeling. Whereas if you don't react and then just take a bit of time and slow down and think about it. Um, and that piece of advice has stood me in good stead for most of my career. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Great Business Minds podcast, the definitive show for the business of digital infrastructure. I'm your host, John Marks Lima, and I use my experience as a digital infrastructure journalist to dig deep into business issues, but also get to know those who build our digital worlds. Great Business Minds is brought to you by Portman Partners, the premier executive search firm for the digital infrastructure industry. With 50 plus years of experience, no other firm can match their knowledge, discretion, and connections with the best top-level talent in the sector. Are you seeking great business minds for your digital infrastructure business? Contact Portman Partners today. Our guest this week is a scale-up enthusiastic board member and an advisor. He has worked in the recruitment industry for more than 25 years, helping several brands grow their business both nationally and internationally. Dave Pai says his style in working alongside founders and CEOs is very much focused on four C's, creativity, curiousness, culture and collaboration. Dave, like first, thank you so much for talking to me and taking the time um, to come on GVM. Um, but before we dive into like your journey over the years and uh, what you're doing within the digital infrastructure space, um, tell us a little bit a little bit about yourself um, in the first place. Where did you come from and how did you got to the place where you are today? Okay, well, I am um, I am a native of the Beatles city of Liverpool. Although I don't sound like any one of the Beatles and never have because I, I left when I was three years old. Um, uh, I uh, did my university education in the States, um, have worked in the UK and on continental Europe. So I, I've picked up a, a variety of different countries' accents as the time's gone by. Um, but I, I live in England, um, I'm married, I've got six children. And wow. that kind of keeps me um, keeps me busy. So I I think that, that, that's probably the busiest thing. And then there's also some time for work in between. I mean, this is amazing. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've been involved in the sort of recruitment and talent sector since um, since 1986. So it feels like it's decades and decades and decades. But it's it's always been great fun. I've always had a passion for it. <laughs> yeah, I can't say that I remember 86, but you definitely got a lot of strawberry fields <laughs> yeah. to navigate. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think I had a manager once, yeah, who said to me, grow your numbers. And I didn't <laughs> think he was talking about my kids, but clearly he was. So uh, I, I didn't think that I was told. I mean, it almost wants me to, to ask you about how do you actually manage the personal side of your life with six children versus the business side. But let, let, let's just get on with the business. I, I, the simple answer is, Jao, I don't. I don't manage it at all. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm much better, I think, in business than I am being a dad. <laughs> well, I guess you sometimes just have the first one, let them grow, and then they can take care of the younger, that's the younger siblings. That's, that's the idea. <laughs> um, but Dave, so you you are a business advisor. I mean, tell us first to, to, to start with. Tell us what is a business advisor, 
Um, and why is it important for companies to have one and especially startups? Yeah, I think um, a business advisor is somebody who can provide advice clearly and a sounding board to people who are trying to grow their business. Anybody running a business, even if it's a, even if it's a giant business, knows that it can be lonely at the top. It's tough um, getting from five people to 20 people as it is getting from 200 to 600. And what a good business advisor does is work with the founder, the MD of, of, of the business and provide them with a bit of structure, provides a really good listen, listening ear and provides some advice and some questioning about what they're doing and how they're doing it. It's very confidential. It's not something that is shared in any sort of format. And I've been doing this role as a, a business advisor uh, for the last six or seven years. And I regard it as an immense privilege mm. um, because you're working with some, some absolutely brilliant people who, um, who just need sometimes a little bit of a push or what often is quite important, just need to slow down on certain stuff. Because uh, you know, we all want to be successful. We all want to make it as fast as we can. And um, sometimes uh, slow down to speed up is my, um, is my mantra of, uh, of working with, uh, with, with business leaders. I mean, I totally agree with you. No, I suffer from the same thing, <laughs> which is always as fast as you can. And then sometimes you do have to take one or two steps back. Yeah. Um, and that the reality is, and you know this as well, it works. For, for the most part, bright people, they've got a passion, they've got a desire, they, they make it work. But it can be lonely. And sometimes having someone just to, to fall back on or just to pick up the phone to at an unusual time and say, I'm just thinking about this, what do you think? Um, mm -hmm. can, really add, um, can really add some value to them as people. And then that translates through to the business. Hmm. Okay. Um, and David, I can see that you're clearly passionate um, about what you do, about helping others grow their businesses and their careers. Um, but uh, specifically about you, what, what kind of motivates you um, to do all this? What motivates you to, to carry on and do the, this that you've been doing for several years um, and helping others? Yeah, it, it's a great question. I think, I think for me, it's when, I've, when I reflect back on my career, I, I started a business and it didn't work. So, so it failed. And then I started another business and it did work. And we grew it and we sold it into a much, much bigger company in the recruitment and talent space. And I ended up staying and running that business. Um, and then I took some time out and reflected on what, what was it that I liked best about all that journey I'd gone on. Mm -hmm. And actually, it was about helping the smaller, more niche businesses grow. So, so for me, where I get my sense of purpose and direction from, if you like, is working with those people who are looking to grow their, their kind of niche, smaller businesses. Um, obviously, I've, I've worked with, with bigger businesses as well, but it's, um, I seem to get a bit more fun and a bit more passion from bouncing off the, the people who have got 100 ideas in 50 days, you know, and they've got to, oh, which one's going to work and how's it going to work and what we're going to concentrate on. Mm. And, and for me, that's um, it, it's it's fun and it's a privilege to be able to to join them on their journey, hmm. and then see them through. So some of the companies um, have have had great success, and it's, hmm. it's it's a reward to see that. I was actually going to ask you what kind of how do you um, ideas, but also maybe picking up on what you just said, going through hundreds of ideas. So invert the question the other way around. How do you kind of 
navigate through hundreds of ideas and you find the right idea um and then how do things flow from there like how do you go through the noise um if i can call it noise how do you go through the noise um to get to that one or two brilliant yeah. um ideas and, and you know what the noise doesn't ever go away mm. it's interesting because and, and also you pick up on an idea and you don't know that it's a really good idea until many, many months or even years down the line. That could be um, a recruitment company operating in a niche sector that hasn't taken off. It could be a certain skill area that hasn't taken off, but they've made the commitment to go down that route and, and you go with them. And it seems like a great idea, as so many things do, but you just don't know. You can be the brightest, you can read as many business books as you, as you want, but actually, sometimes you've just got to execute on it and follow it through. And then you work out, actually, this can work. Um, and it's dangerous when you're, when you're a smaller boutique company because what you don't have is lots of cash and lots of time. You know, where the bigger companies will say, I tell you what, let's throw a million bucks at this and see if it works, or two million or three million or whatever. If you're running a small company, um, every cent, every dollar, every euro matters. So you've got to you've got to choose your your ideas and your ventures as carefully as you can and accept that you'll get some of them wrong because you, you won't pick the right ones unless you pick the wrong ones as well. Because you learn from failure. Um, yeah. You learn from things that don't, that don't work out. Um, yeah. Maybe picking up on the on the risk factor, um, how I mean, do you see this? Let's call them maybe boutique startups. Do you see the smaller startups, boutique startups? Um, willing to risk enough? Do you think they should be risking more? Do you think they get to a stage where um, it's not that they get a little bit scared, but they get a little bit worried about investing more or risking more into something that they're not sure if it's going to work out, um, even if it's a brilliant idea? Um, are people risking enough? Do you see that? Yeah, I think a lot of it is about the DNA of the leader or the leadership team of the company. So the company, the, the people who work there may say, come on, let's go for it. And they've got a very ambitious, driven, uh, I kind of want to say a modern leader, who just come on, let's go for it. And, and their risk is kind of off the scale. And, and they'll, they'll talk to me and I'll be sitting there going, OK, yeah, hang on a minute. Where are you going with this? Yeah. And their, their teams are following them out of curiosity. Not, not from any sense of loyalty. It's like, where are we going? This is a great journey to be on. I wonder where we're going to go. And that's quite risky to, to run a business that way. Some other leaders will, they'll say, let's, let's do A and B. And if that works, we'll go to C. And if that works, we'll go to D. And, and that approach is a bit more steady. And, and sometimes it brings, it brings better rewards because you haven't spent the farm on trying to make something happen. What's been, I mean, I don't know if you can mention names or anything, but what's been like the, um, I mean, let's call it challenging being in a good way. So one of the reasons they've worked with, they had a lot, a lot of ideas um, that were taking the risks, uh, but which also kind of maybe led them towards the part that you had to really say, like, guys, we need to sit down, take a step back and build it from here. And then it worked out. Did you have an example yeah. like that? Uh, well, I, I was hired to join um, a, a talent recruiter type company um, and they had read over the previous few weeks that the Nordics as an area was a great area to do, to do business in. 
And so they decided they would open up in the Nordics. And I caught them just as they were booking their flights to Stockholm. And, I, and so I just said, well, why the Nordics? What's, what's the rationale behind it? And their enthusiasm and their passion and their desire was, well, because it's really good. Everybody's going there and it's, the <laughs> pace of life is good. And, you know, the way they articulated why they were opening made me slightly concerned. <laughs> and I said, well, what about the other areas in Germany, for example, that you haven't explored? You've got a base there, you've got offices there, you could look at Stuttgart and Dusseldorf in Munich and places like that, rather than going off into the middle of, not nowhere, but for them it was nowhere. So it was those sort of questions. And you know, my, my role isn't necessarily to provide the answers, it's to provoke the thinking along the way of, well, if we're going to go there, why are we going there? What's the reason for it? Because it's exciting with new things, isn't it? All new things look brilliant, but sometimes there's just a little bit of um, thought needed as to, hold on, just before you commit to opening an office in Stockholm, yeah, do, do, is there anybody there that would work for you? You know, what's the culture of Stockholm like? Do they like to work for natives or do they want somebody to come from Germany and tell them how to do things? And we had to explore all that and in the end, what happened was they backed off. And they well, after they got on the plane. Yeah, they opened up a different service in Berlin that worked really well. Hmm. That isn't to say they would have failed if they'd opened in the Nordics, not at all. But it was just there was a better risk return from hmm. doing what they were doing in Berlin. Hmm. Yeah. And I guess I mean if you're going to open an office um, spontaneously, you probably don't choose the most expensive one of the most expensive cities in the world as well. Well, I, the, the next one on their list was Copenhagen. And I, and I had said, oh, have you been to Copenhagen? Have you had a coffee in Copenhagen? <laughs> yeah. And uh, no, 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 it looks lovely. It's he like, does on the pictures. <laughs> it's beautiful, beautiful, and wonderful people. Um, but um, it's, not, um, it's not the cheapest place to, uh, to reside or to set up. No, they should, they should try Oslo, <laughs> where it is a weekly grocery shopping in London. Um, well, not anymore, but... Um, and, and Dave, so but sometimes, I mean, things also don't go well for the person advising the businesses. Just uh, through, for example, one time when things didn't go so well for you, but then how did you navigate around that um, and you brought yourself and your ideas and what you were doing back um, on track? So sometimes often when things don't go well, it's because they've got an engagement with a client and something's happened on the client side. Uh, the client has been bought. The client has had a cash crisis. Uh, for example, as we had a number of years ago with financial services, suddenly you, you, you think you're doing one thing and the world has changed and you've got to do something else. Um, smaller companies tend to be more agile at switching things off and doing something different. And that's to the benefit, obviously, of their staff, but they tend to have less staff, less responsibility. Um, so we've, I've had situations where I've, I've gone in and we've, we've worked a plan out together. And, and then you have what I would call an accountability meeting. And instead of being at the end of every week, it's at the end of every day. How are we with that? Where are we with that? What are we doing? Just like any good boss would, would say in a, in a normal employment um, in, environment. Uh, but when it's, uh, when it's your business and it's your investment and your family's future on the line, then it becomes a little bit more important that you've got to get the next few steps right.
Um, and what's your fear? Like, have you got a fear and how do you manage that? Uh, you know what, Joe? I think my fear is, what am I missing out on? Mm. You know, when you, when, you, um, when you fill your mind, I work mainly across the recruitment and talent sector, but, but a couple of other sectors as well. And I work with some brilliant people who've got brilliant ideas and they're fun to work with. And you're kind of always thinking, what, what are we missing out on? This is good, but is there something else? And I'm, I'm the type of person that's always looking around the corner. I, I love the, the thought of, I wonder what's around the corner and going and having a look. And that leads to that sense of, well, what if there's nothing around the corner and somebody else has got it and then I'm missing out? Um, and I think also when you're an advisor, sometimes people expect you to have all the answers. Hmm. And, and the truth of that is that you don't have all the answers. And you've got to be really honest with people and say, actually, I don't know the answer to that question. And they don't like that because they're expecting you to have all the answers. Um, and so you, you can't know, obviously, you can't know everything that's going on and what's going to happen. But it's just about helping to manage it as best that you can. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the way I see an advisor is more just to kind of guide you um, through the journey. Because the, if the advisor had the idea, maybe the advisor wouldn't be advising those people. He'll be starting his own yeah. <laughs> company with the idea. Um, yeah. Do you think a lot of people still have that misconception and they expect, right, we thought of do A, but then the advisor comes in and they want the rest of the alphabet coming from this one person that comes in um, to help with the journey? Yeah, I think sometimes they do. Um, and particularly when in the recruitment space, our product is people. You know, if you sell uh, a data center service, you sell the product and the product's there and you buy the product and you buy it for six years or three years or whatever, and it, it doesn't go away. But with a person, you offer them a job, they accept the job, they're supposed to start on Monday morning, you've done all the work and then they don't turn up. And that's, it's an unusual product to, to call a person a product, but it's an unusual product to sell because it has its own free will. You can do everything you want and still they don't turn up. And then that's a challenge, both for the supplier and for the client that's expecting it and also for the candidate. So it's about managing that balance, that three-way three balance. To bring a light note to picking up on that we just said about uh, the person not turning up. So... We have once someone joining our company. Um, this was many years ago. It's not the current company. I mean, it's a different company. But someone joins, the person came to the office around half day in, um, the person said, I am going to the bathroom. 45 minutes later, everyone was like, what happened? Like, is everything okay? <laughs> they went to check the bathroom and the person disappeared and never returned. Oh, um, no. What's been one, I'm going to call it the funny moment. It wasn't funny at the time, but like, what's a funny moment like that you've had um, or that you've known about um, from the business you've worked with, someone that just came in and like, nope, not for me. Well, we we've had we've had situations not too dissimilar to that. I, I can recall one situation where the company that we were working with hired a person, and on the Tuesday they were due to start on the Tuesday, a completely different person turned up. What? <laughs> the person that had been interviewed. <laughs> the person that had been interviewed had decided actually they didn't want the job, but they had a mate. <laughs> and they told the mate the whole story and the mate turned up, got through security, I don't know how, turned up and um, 
you know, looked different, spoke different, dressed different. Um, and he said, well, yeah, because Richard, I think, was had said that I would be really good for this job. Yeah, and you're thinking, okay. <laughs> now, there's a little bit of me that almost admires the sheer panache that they would have just to do that. You know, you, you've got to have something about you that you'll just turn up, even though you've not even been interviewed for the job. Um, but needless to say... Um, <laughs> You, know, you always like to think there's a nice end to the story, but there wasn't a nice ending. He was completely the wrong person. And, uh, and needless to say, the first person also um, didn't cover themselves in glory by backfilling themselves before they started. Well, th th that's the thing as well, it's when you burn your bridges. Um, and in this case, even before you start crossing the bridge, I mean, you literally just got to, to, the, to the beginning of the, the, the bridge. Um, but um, Dave, before we finish this first part um, of the podcast, what would you say it's something that's non-negotiable for you um, in business? What's something that you would not um, compromise on, open hand off um, when you do all this work with other people? I think, I think for me, it's um, my, my sense of, of purpose is, is really strong. So I, I'd said earlier that I like to work with people that want to grow their, their businesses. And, and many business leaders would say the same thing, that if you do it the right way, you'll have success. You'll have bumps in the road. But if you treat your people with respect, if you look after one another, um, if you're a good person, you know, I think there wasn't a book a while ago that nice guys don't finish first. Well, the reality is actually, in my experience, they do. They, they absolutely do. And more importantly, not only do nice guys and for guys read people, not only do nice people finish first, but the people that work for them appreciate it more. And as leaders, we have a responsibility for the people that work for us. So if you're um, a bit of a monster, then, okay, you may have success, but ultimately that doesn't lead to, to, to good relationships and it doesn't lead to, you know, it doesn't lead to a, a good experience for people working with you. So for me, anything that kind of goes against that, if I'm working with somebody or, or I'm being interviewed for a, a job to, to be an advisor um, and the chemistry isn't there, hmm. You know, I, either they don't like me or, or I don't like them. Then I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it on. Um, I, I once met some um, with somebody who wanted an advisor, and he was quite rough and quite rude. Um, but that was okay. He was successful, but he was a bit rude. And he said, "Problem is, I've had four advisors in the last year. None of them are any good." I wonder why. <laughs> and I said, "Well, it could be that you're the problem." And he then had two choices: either to accept that, or just get rid of me before I'd even started. Unfortunately, he accepted it. Um, but just that nobody had said that to him before. Because often people like that, some people are a bit scared of, um, of challenging them. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I think you make a very well, point, very well made point um, is people work for and with people. Um, and sometimes people do forget the human side of the relationship that needs yeah. to happen. Um, and, and the other thing, Jay, you know, this is a very personal thing for me that I'll just share on, on, on this. But um, when I was, well, 15 years ago, I lost my son. We, we got a number of kids, but one of our kids died. And, and, and that put everything into perspective. And people talk about those kind of life-changing moments they have. It doesn't have to be a death. It, it could, could be something, you know, equally significant. But when those kind of things happen, it gives you a different perspective on what really matters. So when somebody is aggressive or rude or doesn't think I can help them, 
I'm I'm quite relaxed about it. So well, that's that's fine um, because actually, in the greater scheme of things, I've managed to navigate my way through something significantly tougher than anything I've ever had in business, um, and and I almost take a, a view of well, actually, um, Billy was my son, and this is what happened. And if you don't want it, that's fine. We'll we'll move on, and I'll mm. leave with a smile on my face and let them get on with it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, and I think it's it's great to also get to that level um, where you can see things that way. Of course, not for the reason um, yeah. that you mentioned, but it's great when you can kind of like, all right, you and me don't work out. Let's just move on, and you can move on um, without any baggage on your shoulders yeah. um, from dealing in a toxic relationship. Let's call it that way sometimes. Yeah. Um, but um, Dave, uh, before we continue, let's just hear a quick message from our sponsor, Portman Partners. Are you seeking great business minds for your digital infrastructure business? Portman Partners is a unique international executive search firm dedicated to finding the leaders for the digital infrastructure industry. Led by Portman founder and senior partner Peter Hannaford and chairman David Pye, Portman works with clients around the world in the internet and cloud infrastructure sector. Portman has a vast network of contacts around the globe and has placed senior leaders at many of the world's most prestigious organizations in the business. From investors to hyperscale operators, regional colors, designers, construction firms and plant and equipment manufacturers, Portman has the talents and experience required to fill a wide range of C-level and leadership positions. No other executive search firm specializing in the digital infrastructure sectors can match Portman's knowledge industry expertise, or the worldwide connections needed to conduct efficient and confidential searches that will result in successful placements. If you want to be at the top of your sector, get in touch with Portman, the best in theirs. To learn more and connect with Portman via their websites, visit www.portmanpartners.com. Welcome back to the second part of the Great Business Minds podcast episode with Dave Pai. Um, Dave, let's now move on more to the industry itself. Um, how would you, so you've been working uh, with recruitment um, and also especially with digital infrastructure recruitment um, companies over the last few years. Um, how would you say that recruitment has changed um, over the last 20, 25 years? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? When I first started, and even 20 years ago, it was all about supplying a person or two people or three people. Now that the market has matured into, without sounding too grand, a whole sort of talent infrastructure where the companies that are doing really well and are growing are providing a range of different services and recruitment companies become more talent partners with organizations. Mm -hmm. Whether those organizations have five staff or 500 staff, they are educating the clients they're talking to the clients about the trends in the market. They're talking about cl to clients about the tools that are available, available to help them grow their businesses. So I think recruitment has matured an awful lot, particularly in the last 10 or 15 years. And um, you know, with what's been going on in the last few years across the planet, it hasn't really slowed recruitment down because they've been able to adapt very quickly, still interview um, on, on Zoom like um, like products and, um, and and carry on doing the work that they do. So it's certainly got to be a much more professional, much more mature industry than mm -hmm. it was 20 years ago. 
Actually, now that you mentioned Zoom um, and how the industry adapted over the last, especially the last two years, um, what's your view of all these new software and different ways of kind of onboarding people into the business just using artificial intelligence? Um, so, so, for example, I've got a friend who works for an Australian company um, who, what they do, they've created this suite where you go in and you interview with AI. You don't speak to a human being. The, 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 the thing is going to ask you um, some questions about you. You answer them by voice, not writing, by voice. Um, and it'll give you a score and all that sort of things. And then if you pass the first interview, and then if you're called into a second interview, um, then by then you have what they call the good welcoming, which will be, well, we already know if you like a coffee or if you like tea or if you like a Diet Coke. So when you come to the office, we will have the things for you. But it's more around the part of actually interviewing with AI. Um, how do you see that that going? I mean, are people happy about that? Is this because this is a very human, human to human kind of face to face business deal, and it seems to be evolving now uh, into something else? And I think some of that depends on the role that the company is hiring for. If I was going for a senior position, a really vital aspect of that would be culture. Do do I can I work with these people? You know, they may understand that I prefer a flat white to a latte, but I'm not really interested in that. What I'm interested in is how do they make decisions? On what basis do they make them? Who do they include? How do they execute on them? How do they manage those decisions? There isn't, to my knowledge, yeah, to my knowledge, there isn't AI, AI that does that yet. I'm not saying that won't come, oh, but no. just, as, just as, a, as a person, I think the chemistry between two people or a team of people um, is really important. And it's difficult to just give that, to outsource that. Um, it's slightly different if you may be hiring um, 10 people who have a, a relatively low skilled piece of work that is a task orientated piece of work, you, you, you can do that. Hmm. But um, I'm not sure at the very senior end that um, that, that, can, that can make too much of a difference. In fact, for me, I think that would be off-putting. No, it, it is even for younger generations who have spoken um, to do who have gone through these processes. Um, people did not like it that much. Um, no. No. They said they would rather just get an email with a form to fill up and then just send it rather than dealing with a yeah. laptop. Sometimes if you just came to think to understand your accent and everything, that's already quite um, a challenge in itself. Um, yeah. So yeah, these softwares have got a lot, got a long way to go. Yeah, but, uh, and I think a big a big driver for any recruitment is about does the organisation care about me? Hmm. Whether I'm the chief executive, the finance officer, working in marketing, or whether I'm on the sales floor, does the organisation care? And can they see that what I do makes a difference? And really, in my experience, only a human being can show that they care and offer that sort of support both in a positive and a, and a less positive way. So um, I, I would certainly want to, to know that the, the organization I'm working for cares for me. Hmm, absolutely. I mean, it's a human-centric um, business. A business is human-centric, not just the recruitment side, but yeah. the whole thing is human-centric. Yeah. Um, but Dave, so you also like focus your work around what you call the four, four key pillars, um, and they is creativity business, culture, and collaboration. Um, how does that kind of translate into creating a business, um, especially in your area? Well, I think I, I kind of chose those four because of, often in business, you, you, they'll talk about honesty and truth and integrity. 
which are all very, very important. So I don't want to, to in any way denigrate those. But actually creativity for me is, is spark. Whatever that role is, what, what type of spark does that person have? What, how do they come up with ideas? How, how do they decide whether they're good or not? What, what kind of collaboration and engagement does that, uh, does that bring with them? And I think at the senior level particularly, which is where Portman uh, operates, um, creativity is a really big one, particularly if you've been around a little while, like I've been around a, a number of years, but I've still got to be able to show, come up with new ideas and new ways of thinking and new thoughts, because otherwise the world moves on. The world changes every five, six years, if not five or six days over the, last, um, over the last few months, you know, everything changes. So you've got to kind of keep on it. And you've got to have that internal, that attitude of, no, I want to find something new. I want to find what's what's around the corner, you know, to use my exa example of earlier on. So those four words for me are, are really important. And when I'm interviewing somebody, um, they're, they're really important. And, and sometimes people are a little bit afraid by things like creativity, because what they'll say is, well, I've got marketing people to do that. And if they'll talk about collaboration, they'll say, well, I've got a partnership manager and he or she will help me or my business collaborate. And it's not about outsourcing those things. It's about owning them, developing them and building a relationship around them. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, and I think some people just delegate, and I'm going to use the word delegate. Um, I want to use the word dump. Um, yeah. A lot of things on other people. Yeah. Um, when I mean, it, it's your business. I was speaking. To, I was actually speaking to a friend this morning, um, who's having a lot of issues because of unfortunately what's going, what's happening um, between Russia and Ukraine, and they've got an event around oil and gas, um, and the event does not make a decision on if Russia should be allowed or not through the doors. Uh, which, of course, if they are not, it's a massive impact of, on the event. But then, if they are, what's how are people going to look at that? Um, and their boss just disappeared for an entire week, um, not asking questions, not dealing with anyone. And all the decisions were put on middle management, um, low level management yeah. around such a big thing like that. So th this is maybe like a wildly example from what you were saying, but I just wanted to bring the idea of like, you really need to be involved. Even if you get to the top of the company and the company grows a lot, you do need to be involved. Um, yeah. Generating ideas with being there just to support ideas as well. Yeah, and you know what, the whole Ukraine thing—it's so sad to see. But we've got a we've got a company that has a recruitment office in Ukraine. It's ten staff. Six of the women have gone to help support the 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 uh, the, the war effort. The four male recruiters, including the business leader, have gone off to fight. Yeah. Now, there's nothing that I could say that you and I, in our experience, I've never had that as an experience where I've got to leave my job and pick up a weapon. But mm -hmm. that's what's happened. And you can't advise on that. All you can do is pray for them, love them, support them yeah. um, in, in whatever way that looks like. Um, but that's a reality for that nation and those people right now. Um, mm. That's just harsh. Yeah. I mean, the, the worries there, they become a completely different level it's not even a business thing it's it's life um yeah. it's a life for me at the moment so life and death um yeah. but um dave going back into maybe some some more optimistic things um let's talk a little bit about portman because you've been a key pillar on setting up portman and kind of um helping the company grow over the years 
um, so an executive recruitment search firm for um, additional infrastructure. Tell us about how you got involved, what's the journey been like, um, and at least one thing that you've learned that you haven't um, ever thought before <laughs> since you started well, working, I guess, with Peter and the others. It's interesting, yeah, because Portman was the brainchild of Peter Hannaford, who's the, the yeah. founder of Portman. Peter's been in the digital infrastructure for, for many years. We, we won't say how many, but Peter's been around for a long time and, and has been a really credible and much-loved leader across the, the, the sector. And what he discovered is actually, whilst there are many recruitment companies that operate in our sector, there's none that operate at the very top of the sector. And we had a conversation about um, putting together um, a boutique business that helped move senior people around at the very top, but only in the digital infrastructure arena. And one didn't exist. There are plenty of very big companies like the Spencer Stewart's and the Corn Ferries and, you know, those sort of companies that, that people will know and like, um, but not nothing that was specifically focused on what we do. So that's why we set the business up. And also one of the things that we wanted was we wanted people who are older, who have got experience across the sector. So it wasn't a case about going and hiring five or six 25 year olds who were looking to sell into the, the sector. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Hmm. But the people that we're engaged with have been around a long time, have seen the good bits and the bad bits of the sector, understand the sector, and want to talk to people who have kind of shared that journey with them a little. So um, the way we built our associate network, the way we built our staff up, has been we've we've gone first for experience and knowledge, um, and and try to keep it very much as a, a, a boutique for for digital infrastructure, which makes um, great sense. And I mean, we've seen not that we've seen them that publicly, but we know we know some of the the, the positions that Portman um, was behind of um, in terms of placing some senior executives, and it is um, a senior executive. Um, recruitment firm, but um, what's what's been like one thing that kind of amazed you throughout the process, like something out of the box um, they they just didn't see uh, in some of the years in recruitment they didn't see. Coming. I think for us it was, or for me, it was just how many senior people are on top of social media. So so there's often a thought of. Actually, social media is for the younger generation. So I've told you I've got hundreds of kids. They've all got Twitter <laughs> and Snapchat and Facebook and, you know, you name it, Insta, whatever they, they've got, they use it. But actually, quite a lot of senior people use it intelligently, carefully, and it's a bit more than just sharing photos and what you have for dinner. And that sort of surprised me because I was thinking that, oh, maybe that's just for the the younger generation, if you want to put a generational thing on it. But actually, no, it's it's something that's used and acknowledged. And, um, you know, we've kind of navigated along with that um, to, to make sure that we're, we're doing our part in that as well. Very interesting. I mean, have you ever found someone on, on Instagram <laughs> for a role that you're looking after? Um, not, necessarily on, <laughs> not necessarily on Instagram, but um, it, I think it's just about being aware of the yeah. presence and what people post on things like LinkedIn, which obviously lots of people use. But um, I think for me, it was just that assumption that don't assume that because you've been around a little while, 
the things that are coming up and are still are new are not for you. Because it comes back to that creativity and collaboration. Actually, this is for you as well. And some of the, the most senior people that we've been speaking to and we've engaged with are, are some of the most adept at using the new technologies. Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean, I'm witness of that because I've seen um, senior leadership in different companies really using um, different social media platforms to really not just boost out their company brand, um, but their personal side of things, but not, as you said, not just the end that they had um, two hours ago, actual thoughts and thinking um, around real world issues and, um, and of course, the industry as a whole. Um, but Dave, Boardman is not your only gig. Um, you do a lot of other things uh, and you work with a lot of other brands at the moment. Can you just guide us through who else you operate with, what you're doing? Um, yes, yeah, a quick like brief view um, of what else you do um, beyond Portman Partners. Um, I'm involved with a, a couple of other um, recruitment companies uh, that are looking to scale their businesses. Um, I'm also involved with a, a software development company that's based in Lisbon that provides teams of software developers for London-based clients. Um, and they provide them in a very cost-effective way, hugely intelligent um, army of, uh, of developers. Um, I'm involved in a charity that provides um, healthcare to the Middle East um, in, in northern Israel. I got involved in that a number of years ago, and I've kind of got a passion for that country and that area. Um, uh, so I'm involved in that. And locally, where I live in, in England, um, I chair a teenage mental health charity that provides mentors and mental health support for teenagers in the city secondary schools in the, in the, in um, 11 to 18 people at school so i've got a number of di- a number of different things going on that um that kind of keep me going yeah but all very equally important um i mean especially the last one um the lisbon one i'm not surprised i'm not biased at all in <laughs> um <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, but uh, do, so actually I'm, I'm going to mix up a couple of questions now in terms of uh, regions they operate in because you mentioned of course the UK um, you've got Portugal so Southern Europe you've got Israel Middle East um, do you do anything beyond that in terms of continents like do you do, you do something with Asia Africa different regions of the world and then how how does it compare for example in terms of culture how you deal with people how you talk to people um, just an idea um, of what else is going on in the world and how to deal with different cultures um, around. Um, I, I, I was educated in the States and I've worked in the States, but in the, in the last 10 years or so, less so. Portman, as, as a business, we've got someone that works in Asia Pac, someone that works in the States, hmm. and someone works in continental Europe. Um, and you know this, Jab, but people in the UK talk about Europe and they talk about a European culture. And you know as well as I do, it's 37 different cultures in each country. And languages. <laughs> and languages and ways of doing things. So I think culture is such a fabulous, it's a, such a fabulous thing to be able to, to navigate and, and understand what makes people tick in, in different cultures. Um, and the Middle East is as, is as different to Asia Pac as, as Africa. Um, I just have a, a kind of passion for, I guess it's that learning bit as well. You know, you, you think you know what you're talking about and then you realise actually when you go to a different culture, it doesn't translate and you've got to start again. And that's OK. You know? Yeah, uh, I mean, you become culturally rich 
Um, I, I remember when I started traveling as a journalist, I mean, we had, of course, our, let's say, European way um, of doing things, or mostly the British way of doing things, because um, there is actually a big difference as well to, for example, how German journalists or Spanish journalists, French journalists, there is a big, big difference from Hungarian journalists. Uh, but then once you start broadening that out um, into Asia, into Africa, into North America, it's, there's so many different um, verticals into what you're doing. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, even the thing of just giving a business card to someone, yes. um, it's not the same yes. thing as we have in Europe, like, oh, well, there you go, here's a business card. Um, I'll just write a note on it in front of you and then that's it. And we're all okay with it. But then you go to Asia, it's not the same thing. And I really find those things, it's it's valuable. It's very extremely valuable. And you only get them once you travel. So I think that's why the last two years have been so upsetting for a lot of young people, especially coming out of uni. They've missed out on experiencing that. Um, Of course, now we have the opportunity to start getting back to it. Um, But it's it's just a beautiful thing. Culture is a beautiful thing. Yeah, Um, one of the aspects that I've missed is... um, is not being able to travel. I don't miss necessarily doing as much as I did, mm. but actually I miss, it's all the ancillary things, walking the city, as well as the meeting of the people, but just try to understand a little bit about what makes someone a place tick. Yeah. Um, but the, the bottom line is across all cultures, across all people in all cultures, the bottom line is for that one person, does the person I'm with care about me? And that's, that's the uniform thing that translates. Am I giving them their attention? Am I showing them respect? Am I showing them due care? Particularly in, in, my, in my sector of recruitment, that, that, um, that absolutely matters more now than ever, particularly with what's going on now and what we've gone through in the last couple of years. Hmm. Yes. Uh, and I mean, let's hope that we're not going to be in such a, a dark time for much longer um, and we can finally get a a blow of fresh air yeah. in the last two and a half years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hopefully absolutely. no more surprises. I hope the saying of like, <laughs> there isn't two without three, let's hope there isn't a third thing. Um, but Dave, to quickly close, um, give us um, the worst and the best advice you've ever got yourself um, from someone and you don't have to reveal the person on or the who or if you, you can as well, if you can, if you want. But the I best and the worst we, advice. The, the best advice I ever received was when I was a, a younger younger recruiter and my, my boss said to me, don't react, then you won't overreact. Like and that. that really resonated with me because I'm a kind of flamboyant person. So if you tell me something and I don't like it, I'll go, no! And, and suddenly... <laughs> You know, suddenly um, I've shown how I'm feeling. Whereas if you don't react and then just take a bit of time and slow down and think about it. Um, and that piece of advice has stood me in good stead for most of my career. Um, I think the worst piece of advice I've given, I, I don't know. Um, um, so somebody, I mean, many people have had this said to them, but um, do what makes you feel good. Because that can set you off on so many because just because it makes you feel good doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Um, and if you, and nobody said this, but if you can do what makes the other person feel good, you know, then that starts you off in a different place. It may not be where you ultimately end up, but it, it just starts you off in a different place. Yeah, you, you need that kind of focus as well um, to make sure you don't take more than you can actually cope with. Yeah. Um, and keep it niche. Yes. Means- um, I think a lot of people sometimes, even sometimes people look at businesses and they think I want to be the next Coca-Cola, the next Microsoft. Um, but those things, they started small. 
Um, and um, I actually remember when I was younger, we used to have these conversations around creating businesses and everything. And we always used to conclude, of course, our views have changed nowadays. This is when we were like 10, 11, 12, 14. Um, we used to say it's extremely hard to start the business today because a hundred years ago, you could launch, like you could sell matches on the streets and eventually they became one of yeah. the biggest supermarket chains in the world. Yeah. Um, and now you can't sell matches on the street and start the supermarket chain because it's just the way we live in. We've got too many of them. It's very hard to get into it. So, But we used to get stuck there and then you just got to move on to the next thing. But at the same time, you can't just go with what makes you feel good. It has to be focused. Um, yeah. So I, I totally agree with that. Um, and Dave, last question, because um, you're a very busy man <laughs> and I'm taking a lot of your time. Um, what would you say is your favorite quote and by who um, and why? Oh, now, see, if my kids were listening, yeah, they would put their head in their hands and go, oh, not again. <laughs> well, we can so bring them favorite, in. <laughs> my favourite quote is, tomorrow belongs to those who see it coming. And okay. that's, that's from David Bowie. So not a business person. At, well, clearly he was a business person, but not known for being a business person, you know. Um, and I, I've always liked that quote. Tomorrow belongs to the... Because I, I, that's, that's kind of what I like. I like to find out what's coming around the corner. Um, and um, I'm also a very, very big um, Bowie fan. Yeah, I was going to say we started with the Beatles and we finished with David Bowie. Well, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, <laughs> very good musical choices as well. I can I, tell. I, I, I was born in, in Liverpool. I now live near London, so I've kind of followed the uh, the, the, the musical <laughs> the musical track. Um, um, Dave, Pye, thank you so much for your for your time um, for, and for speaking with the, the Great Business Minds podcast. Um, and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to review and share this episode and follow the Great Business Minds podcast on all your favorite streaming and social media platforms. You can find the links in the podcast description. Thank you again to our sponsor, Portman Partners, the leading executive search firm for the digital infrastructure sector. Portman finds the talent you need to protect and enrich your assets. They get it right the first time every time. Do subscribe to the podcast and we invite you back again for the next episode of the definitive show for the business of digital infrastructure, the Great Business Minds podcast. See you then.